As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? You mad? Hi, Jake. Hey, Lisa. How's it going, dude? Oh, it's going all right. I'm still like oh, kind of in work hell. Uh, That's what I was gonna ask you about working a lot. Yeah, it's cool though. I, I like my, I like what I'm doing right now, and like. Man, um, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. Like, I'm gonna pull back soon because I don't yeah. have any like creativity time right now. I'm like really yeah. I'll do, doing this podcast right now is like also kind of horning on shit. I'm getting stuff done, but. Just really like burning the candle on both right, ends. Rude. Everybody heard that. We are the stepchild of uh, Jake's life. Well, uh, he, he has to squeeze Why You Mad in. Uh, this doesn't make money for him, so <laughs> better step up. It's just if you want us to keep doing this. It's just the money. Somebody <laughs> tweeted at me the other day because I because mm. I was making fun of the skanks and their fucking festival and shit. Yeah. And somebody was like, "Oh, you're a bartender. Why are you a bartender? I thought you had two successful podcasts." And I was like, "Hey." I have one successful podcast. And it's one. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you have a co-host who's like, "Let's just keep it private to just like our handful of Patreon people. We don't need more fans, Jake." <laughs> oh God, yeah, that's really funny. But um, I think it's really good that way because let me tell you something. Um, maybe this is like a weird thing to hear from communists, but like. I also like my job, okay? And it's not in this way of like, I feel like I have to climb a ladder and to get achievements that reflect on who I am as a person. And if I don't do it, I'm a failure. No, Jake. It's literally like, I like my job because it's intellectually stimulating. I meet cool people. I get paid enough to survive, not just to survive, but to also do things that I enjoy and invest into other things that I like to do in my life, including like helping my family and stuff. Yeah. It, I have uh, insurance because of it. I have, um, because of it, like paid time off to take just, even if it's like a week of staying home or whatever, I can take time off to just be like not working. So... I like my fucking stupid job. <laughs> and, you know, I think about this all the time, actually, um, about Max, right, from Eve 6, because mm -hmm. he loves, he hasn't done it lately, but he used to love making fun of, like, fake email jobs. Yeah, like the right? jobs that you all have. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like, you know, there are fake email jobs. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. Like, for example, like, um, I get emailed a lot from people that are, like, cold emailing i don't know if that's a thing people get like mm -hmm. it used to be cold calling right but people who i guess look me up on linkedin and whose job it is to like for example place people in positions so they're like um what is it like a recruiter so then they will just like cold email me and be like, hey, you work at this company. Do you hire people? Do you have time on Wednesday at 12 p.m. to talk about whatever? I don't know these people. They don't know what I do. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, what are you doing? It's crazy. So there are a bunch of people who are just like doing jobs that are, um, I guess, non-essential. And definitely what I do is non-essential because it is TV and streaming related. So that shit is non-essential. But as we were talking about last week, um, it does go towards some preservation of media and art and all of that <clears> stuff. <throat> so it challenges me and nourishes some part of my brain and my soul. 
while just also being just a fucking job and not like everything that defines me. And whenever someone makes fun of someone like you for being like, whoa, don't you do this other thing just for money? It's so crazy to me that they don't realize how they are revealing themselves to believe that art should be something that equals money. Yeah, it's stupid. Well, they think it's validating. Like they think it's yeah. you know the dream for people with a little entrepreneurial mindset going on yeah. is that if you make co- something like comedy one hundred percent of your income, then you suddenly are more free. But you're not. You're actually less. You're free. more trapped. Yeah. You can't do what kind of comedy you want after that. You have to fucking uh, you have to pander. But I think that they like maintain a myth in their head that. You know, they sort of retroactively go, well, any, no, uh, you know, I like doing all the stuff I'm doing that's selling. But, like, most people don't set out to pander to a really niche audience, you know? You, yeah. you start off with more creative ideas in your head, I think. Maybe you fucking don't. I think so. But back to what you were talking no. about, that, about fucking okay. work, though. Yeah. This is why I like my job is because um, I, I kind of got a job through, like, a friend of mine, and it... it uh, I keep having moments <clears throat> at work where I'll be like, oh, shit. Like, if, like, a manager comes in, like, anybody vaguely, you know, associated with running or owning the place, mm-hmm. I'll be like, are we allowed to, ha- am I allowed to have this door open or whatever? And, th- and they have to, <laughs> somebody has to stop me and go, I, I don't know, Jake, do you want the door open or not? And I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. I'm just allowed to, do- to make that decision. I have... A brain still for, that's beaten down from like what work does to you forever, and I'm having to like re like un like deprogram myself. But it's for a good reason because this place is like, dude, do whatever you want. And uh, I was talking to somebody. I have a regular who works at this, um, or is part owner worker of this co-op called Blue Stockings. It's like a feminist bookstore. The bookstore, yeah. Yeah, and they were telling me, they were like, yeah, we have people that come on all the time because of the cooperative nature of it, not having a boss. You have people that are like, wait a minute, I can sit down? I've never been allowed to sit down. I can down. go to take a piss without <laughs> asking anyone? Yeah. Yeah, and when you work, like, kind of unencumbered like that, it's like fucking it's just free it's way less stressful than working at a yeah. fucking starbucks or something i worked at a starbucks yeah. and i got in trouble for cussing you know what i mean i, like, <laughs> I got in trouble for cussing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of why i'm going so hard on this job I'm like okay good yeah. this is a good situation i could do this pretty yeah. hard for a minute and then you know get back to the other sure. thing and i feel very blessed that i don't have to do like a lot of the shit that i've had to do in my life to get to this point well, and the thing is, like, uh, because we all exist under capitalism, regardless of what your stupid little ideals are, we all are cogs in the machine in some way, right? But I do think that it is better to be a cog who finds the best position possible that gives you the greatest returns for the, I don't want to say lowest amount of effort, but, like, least stressful amount of effort does that make sense if you understand (laughs) that you are a cog you can find the best space in the machine to be a cog in where you're happy to be a cog all the other cogs don't understand that they're cogs so they're like what no what do you mean i'm free like they have the illusion of freedom yes and there's actually more freedom in being like okay if I make myself a medium cog instead of a large cog or whatever and i fucking find my spot where 
there is enough energy being put out that there is uh, money coming back in because that's the point of capitalism. Yeah. And then there is enough money coming back in and also enough time left over in my life and in my day for me and energy, dude, because that's another thing. So like when you think about like physical labor, dude, like everybody who's a construction worker, who's like, uh, you, you know, people even make fun of baristas, Jake, but like, Yo, I can't even press a button with my thumb right now because of how bad my carpal tunnel is. Yeah. And it is 100% from seven years at Starbucks of, like, every 30 minutes carrying seven gallons of milk, one in each finger, (laughs) you know? Like, fucking for 12 feet from the big refrigerator to the little refrigerator. And you're just like, yeah, I got to carry the most milks possible because it's a fucking rush. And you are fucking up your hands <laughs> and you're just like destroying your back, even at a desk job. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, so they all have some kind of thing that is wearing on you, that is destroying a part of you. And so it is just pretty insane of me of, uh, to me for anybody to think that like putting your heart on the line, like the thing that you're truly passionate about. For money like that's even why I was like Jake let's like go back to do the podcast but keep it Patreon only is because I never want to feel like I'm doing this for the money yeah. I never want to feel oh, like don't they... worry <laughs> yeah no exactly exactly no I'm like I even want to send the message of like no even the money I'm getting now you'll n- I will never pander <laughs> <laughs> let me uh well I still have it on my brain let me read you something yeah. somebody sent me because I think it relates to this thing about the people that don't understand that they're cogs and they don't understand how they exist under uh capitalism and everything so he sent me this it's a guy describing um uh libertarians and he says oh no (laughs) he's cool the guy is cool though he says house cats they are convinced of their fierce independence while utterly dependent on a system they don't appreciate or understand right don't you think that's where most people like who don't understand that their cogs like exist, yeah. you know, especially Absolutely. the ones with like a little bit of privilege are like, what I'm, I have this cause I'm doing a good job or whatever. And it's like, no, it's yeah. because there's like other shit at work. That's They're just like, cause I had perfect attendance. Yeah. So that's why I succeeded at everything. Okay. <laughs> but if you're smart like us, you can find a good corner of the machine to hide in and, you know, get all your shit done. Well, sort of, sort of related, um, only in, in the class analysis kind of way, but maybe it's a full-on pivot to you and others. But I think we should talk about this art soup thing, the, okay. um, them British girls who... So basically what's ha- what happened was like these British girls uh, went into this museum and they threw a can of soups, soup, like not the actual can but like the contents of the can. <laughs> so they threw soup at a Van Gogh painting. Mm-hmm. Now, um, all the Van Gogh paintings, I think in every museum everywhere are gla- are covered in glass. And I think it's because of an insurance clause this, that, that requires before? it. No, it's not at all because of that. It's just because you, like I feel like people, like lay people, right? Like not art workers, Right. Mm -hmm. Which I think includes like all the way up to curators, all the way down, quote, down to art handlers. Right. Are people who I think we understand 
when art has value as an object, whereas the majority of lay people see it as having some kind of intrinsic value as art, okay? And what I guess I would like to tell you is that the reason that there are some artworks covered with glass in museums and some that are not is literally because capitalism values some of them at such a high amount of money that the only way that a museum can legally display them, not legally, but like display them while having enough insurance coverage is to have them covered in glass because no insurance company is going to cover your Van Gogh like in your private home Uh if you don't cover it with glass unless you're going to pay this many more millions of dollars in insurance. You get me? And that is not because Van Gogh is the greatest artist that ever existed, Jake. That is because Van Gogh paintings cost a lot of money. (laughs) That is it. That is it, period, okay? And so this idea of like equating costs a lot of money or makes a lot of money with is the greatest art is just not correct, right? And so what happened with this fucking soup thing is that, or at least the thing that bothered me, right? It was, so the fucking girls, they throw the soup at the painting. It's covered in glass. So technically, we find out afterwards they went to court and everything, and there was no damage done to the painting. There was slight recoverable damage done to the frame. The frame was not made by Van Gogh. It's like a thing that was added later on. You know what I mean? So it's like, yes, it has value, but it has nothing to do with the artist's original vision, etc. Right? And what annoyed me about it, because at first I was like, whatever, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Right? But then I saw very intelligent people on Twitter talking about how... um, Jake, like even I even saw bad leftist takes. Okay, like I saw some. Oh, I saw a lot. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I saw some leftists talking about how the reason this protest was bad was because if you listen to these girls' accents, they're actually posh, upper class, educated. That's stupid. Yeah, dude, and so they are not speaking for the working class because of their accents, and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, you're defending a painting that was yeah. never meant for you to be seen, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> like, I did. The only good like critique I saw of them is that somebody point found out, did some digging, and found out that they uh, work for a um, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a non-profit or whatever, or like a shell Both company. Oh, a yeah. show company. Ah, uh, what's the word? An, N- an NGO. Sorry, an NGO. An NGO. An NGO. Okay, okay. But the NGO is owned by like an oil of course, heiress a bad or something. Show company. So yeah. like, you know, I, even if they were well-meaning, you're working for the person for you're protesting against. You know. But who amongst us? Okay, not me because I have a Gen X mentality, so I never helped anybody. But like, for example, okay, not to like put anybody on anything, but like I love the Trillbillies, you know? And one of the things that I love about them is that all of them talk about how at one point, maybe not Aaron, because he joined later, but like the, the first three, they talk about how like at one point they worked on like the Clinton campaign, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. believed in Democrat, oh, Democrats sure. Sure, yeah, and yeah. they worked towards it and then they were disillusioned by it and they were let down. And so it's like, I don't think it's wrong to have believed <laughs> at some point and uh, been duped because you thought that somebody like some organization would be good. Like I was duped just by com- comedy and comedians. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, I understand being duped by an NGO, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. 
But I I don't even think that's like the point, Jake. Like, okay. I, I, I think it was what someone was insinuating it was that they were some kind of op, but like that's probably dumb. They're not. I mean, they they might be pawns in an op, for sure. That's possible. Look, I do you know? Did I ever tell you that I got offered a job um, out of grad school to work for the United Nations or for not the United Nations, but basically like the I guess the State Department, <laughs> uh, making exhibitions in American embassies around the world right Mm -hmm. so it would just basically be like making propaganda where you just like gabe just went to lagos nigeria right Mm -hmm. and in lagos he saw a what he called a cia playground (laughs) which was like a literal playground for children but jake it was funded by some american fucking shit and inside of the playground it had just like 3D, like, triangular um, graphic displays that would just have, like, all these American figures, and it would be, like, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, (laughs) (laughs) Bill Clinton, like, all these just, like, what the fuck? Everyone who was on the the Epstein planes. Exactly, exactly. So, like, um, especially when you're young and you really believe, like, once upon a time, I really thought I could fix the world man i wanted to be an ambassador i thought that like there was a way to work within the system how many times have i failed in that way i thought i could fix comedy from the inside i thought i could fix fix museums from the inside i constantly fall for it (laughs) and so i cannot be mad at these girls for falling for an ngo that might be owned by a shell company that has interest in like petroleum or whatever (laughs) right yeah because ultimately I do think that the message that they got across was successful and matters, okay? And the reason that it was successful is because I, and maybe it's, again, because of my algorithm, whatever the fuck, but I just saw so many people talking about this stupid fucking soup on the painting thing, whether it was making a joke about it or um, having some, like, serious take on the politics of the situation, on the fucking uh, view worldview involved in it whatever it may be whereas how many people do you see talking about what the fuck is happening in haiti that's what i've been tweeting about all week puerto rico yeah dude puerto rico still like without power all everybody it's literally a part of america and they're completely fucked after after hurricane again yeah uh there it just doesn't make sense because do you remember uh notre dame the cathedral in Paris that <laughs> yeah, yeah, burned yeah. down accidentally yeah. because of an electrical fire, I think, like, two years ago. When that shit happened, Jake, you know, rich people lost their fucking shit. I know. I saw a really money. good TikTok about that when it happened. It was funny. It was this Crayshawn song where she's like, the first part of the song is like, hey, bitch, give me some money. And then it's the person going, no, 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 no. And then she, she comes back as the burning Notre the Dame cathedral. tower. <laughs> Hey, bitch, give me some money. And they're like, yeah. (laughs) Yes, okay. So I want to suggest to you that, like, if you saw somebody throwing a can of paint, oh, sorry, a can of soup on a painting, and your first thought was, oh, my God, the painting, and you didn't move past that, you are identifying with the rich cop in your head because you're thinking about, objects as more important than people because 
there is no way. Like I will have, I will agree to every single Van Gogh painting ever created set on fire if it means that nobody's hungry on Earth anymore. If it means everybody has clean water. If it means there's no wars and proxy wars, <laughs> etc. But no, that is not what most of the world and the culture says. They're like, hell yeah, I will give money to make sure that this Jesus painting gets restored, that this fucking Notre Dame cathedral gets rebuilt. Bitch, yeah. how did, like, it was never for you. And if you think about, like, the history of art and museums, it, they started as what was called uh, king's cabinets or king's collections, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, artists, right? So, like, if you take it from the artist's point of view, if you were, like, a fucking peasant and you were like, I have a talent <laughs> and I want to be that thing, I want to be a singer, okay. I want to be a painter, your only hope to survive being a painter or whatever, being an artist was to find a patron, huh? Hey, patrons. <laughs> Patreon, <laughs> patrons. Was to find a patron and have them basically, like, um, pay for your subsistence in order for you to be able to create all day, right? But, as we were talking about earlier, that then put the artist under the constrained position of not having a free voice as an artist, but being constrained by what their patron found acceptable and not acceptable to say, right? And, but I guess that's a side note, right? But so then all the rich people were sort of responsible for not only the production of art, because they subsidized artists, but they were also solely responsible for the um, preservation of art. And they didn't do it out of the goodness of their hearts, even though sometimes they now say that they did. They did it out of, like, wanting their own wonderful collection in their garden or in their mansion or whatever the fuck, right? And they have all these things and... Wait. uh, Oh, yeah. And they, like, originally were not public spaces where it was like, oh invite all the masses and educate people about art and give people access to stuff. Literally, the Vatican is one of the greatest art collectors in the world. You can't see their shit. It's not in museums. You can't see it at the Vatican. They don't want you to see it. It's in fucking vaults. They own it. It is not for the public. Yeah. Period. So understand that when you go to a museum now, that's a very new sort of whitewashy idea of what a museum used to be. It used to be an exclusive, you're not good enough to get in here space. So for you to relate to the idea that this art is so important to humanity that we must preserve it over everything else, as opposed to hearing some fucking young women saying to you, hey, why does nobody care that the oceans are boiling? (laughs) Why does nobody care that fucking there's hurricanes in places there didn't used to be hurricanes? (laughs) You know, like, instead, you're fucking pissed that we threw soup at a fucking painting. Yeah, I saw this guy, uh, this fuck, I I think it was Stevie Van Zandt, that guy, the DJ from fucking Uh uh, L.A. or whatever, and he said, um, he said something along the lines of, like, why, like, I... Why even save the world if it doesn't have, you know, art? You know, the why save art if there's nobody to fucking look at it? Yeah, dumbass. Like, no, that's not actually as important. Even if we were talking about actually really good art, it still wouldn't be as important as being alive, dumbass. 
Um, exactly. It's really crazy. There's a lot of. I use this term all the time, and I think it's like common. But do you know what I mean when I talk about the emperor's clothes? Like that. Of whole course. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think. Is about it just it because we're old? Are you saying young people don't get that? I don't know. I'm just. I wonder about that sometimes because I talk into a microphone and then release it to thousands um, of people and then go. Does, young do people, people get that. Honestly, young persons, if you're hearing us now and you don't know what Jake's talking about, email us because well, we would like to know. It's a very. A, childhood basic fucking story or whatever but the, yeah. the story is that there's some uh person who makes clothes he makes them for this emperor and um you know he's got to make the best clothes ever for the emperor so he tells him um at one point he's like oh i've made these really incredible artistic clothes but when uh the thing that's a thing about them that have this magical quality you can only see them if you have really good taste and uh, he just comes up to the emperor, and he's just got invisible. He's just miming, putting clothes on yeah. him. Tricks. And the emperor is like, I love it, because right. he doesn't want to admit that he doesn't see it. Right, That's exactly. That's the first step. Yeah. That's Go really, on. and then he goes out, and he's nude, and then everybody in the yeah. crowd is like also being tricked. Like, oh, they look great. And like everyone's lying, right? Well, they but, don't want to admit that they're the only ones that doesn't see it, that don't right. see it. Exactly. Yeah. I think about this with art and shit all the fucking yeah. time. And like uh, with like all these people that were just... Acting like this Van Gogh sunflower painting was so important and so good, it, it reminded me of like, it actually reminded me of this really funny thing that happened at Old Man Hustle one time when I worked there. We're like, I got a lot of these shitty Manhattan club comics <laughs> that would come hang around. And there was this like old man, like from a different era, thought he was like an 80s cool, like leather jacket comic, but he's just like this middle aged dumbass. And uh, he was trying to make some like, some some Chappelle Bill Hicks esque like serious point one night, and he was like dealing with some he lady who I guess heckled him, but she was probably <laughs> correct to do so. And like he was like, nah, you know, but I want to talk about art, and I'm gonna talk. I want to tell you about a painting that you might not know about. It's very esoteric, you know, but I can explain it. It's called Van Gogh's Starry Night. But he was, like, serious. <laughs> he thought that he was showing off, that he was, like, this cultured yeah. person. It's like, that is on every dorm room wall yeah. in the world. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, There's more interesting things to talk about the Scream. But dumb, yeah, yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. But yeah. like, And also it was stolen. Did you know that? And it was yeah, stolen yeah. For a long time. Crazy. But anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, well, people were talking about how... So there, there was this, like, lib take where people were saying... Like, oh, if you want to get your point across, you shouldn't do it like this because then people won't like you because you're attacking something that's very important yeah, yeah, and yeah. all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, the thing about um, art, like... I get that so all the time, Jake. Is that so a surprise to you? Hey, <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Sometimes people, like... The way people were treating these Van Gogh paintings is, like... I understand maybe on some level you can make an argument that there is, like, some context, some historical context that is interesting and that's why they should be like preserved and you know the story of van gogh's life and how he was part of the art world is kind of interesting but the idea that most people have that's very idealistic which is just that like we're putting this on display because it's an example of the best thing or whatever is absurd to me in that i have this moment all the time when i'm just like scrolling instagram and i see something that's just some person made it and it's like the most visually it's a it's like a visual feast, you know? There's just crazy yeah. cool stuff that people do who are just into illustrating and stuff. And I'm like, this is infinitely aesthetically more pleasing than, like, totally. these paintings that are in museums that people pretend to watch. But it's all emperor's clothes because they go, like, this is what smart people consider to be the best art of all time. So yeah. 
if you challenge that, then it's hegemony, you're embarrassed basically. looking stupid. Yeah. And it, art is just like that in general. Like when you assign value yeah. to stuff, that's why I always tell people like when they ask me like who's the who's the comic I who's should the best watch. Comic, you're like, I'm like I fucking don't know what don't, you like, bro. Go to a <laughs> yeah, bar. Exactly. Just go to a bar anywhere and watch a show, and yeah. like, maybe you'll find something cool. That's what's yeah. cool about comedy. But like the idea that. The best ones are these like titans that are doing these huge shows and stuff. Yeah, they just true, have man. the most value in capitalism, and that's absolutely one specific way of having value. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, no, all and the same. I agree. I totally agree. And like, here's the thing that um, you know. Uh, okay, so like as communists, I think we talk about materialism and material reality very often. But this is a place where I'm going to tell you that you're, it's the opposite, right? Where um, this is actually a case of fetishizing the material over the ideological, mm-hmm. right? Because the truth of the matter is that most, as you just fucking, look, dude, as we talked about last episode, so much of film is already lost to us. So much of TV and film that was created in the last 20 years is going to be lost to us. Uh, as you were just saying about, uh, fuck, what was it about, uh, whatever, I don't know. Oh, Emperor's Clothes or, uh, well, no. Instagram art, comics. Oh, no, about seeing stuff, yeah, about seeing stuff that's, like, not the mainstream art world and is not being documented and archived or, or shown off or anything. So, the reality is that the majority of human creativity is ephemeral. It yeah. exists, it like happens and it disappears. And when I see people, especially like working class people, just so attached to this idea of like you must defend a statue or you must defend a painting by Van Gogh or you must whatever. <laughs> I'm like, dude, this is your internalized colonizer cop inside of you. Yeah. Telling you that this one specific object has more value like if you're Latin American, literally our entire culture and religion and art form was melted down and turned into gold bricks because gold was so plentiful in Latin America that we made our fucking artwork and our religious statues out of gold. I was about to bring up gold. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, though. No, and that's just, that's all that I mean is that, like, uh, this idea that the West has this obsession with preservation Yeah. is classist, essentially. Totally. Because... It ignores how much of history has been erased and melted down and forgotten for so much of human history. And so if you are obsessed with, like, I must preserve a thing, you better have as much, at least as much energy for I have to help a person. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The thing you just said about gold is, like, perfect, though, because, like, uh, when you read, like, capital by Marx like the first thing he sort of goes into is gold and like where value comes from and like how why something costs more like why is gold valuable right is it because yeah it's because it's scarce it's scarce and it's hard to acquire yeah uh but there's like this myth labor yeah that it's the myth though that that people kind of believe sometimes is that it's because it's like um Good. Inherently, <laughs> like no, because it's it, yeah, inherently it's just, valuable. Right, and the thing I always thought that was interesting because um, I, yeah. I had a I was talking about this like when it's, wh- it's literally the softest metal, Jake. It's yeah, not it doesn't useful. do anything. <laughs> I was talking about this with a friend of mine way, yeah. way a long time ago before I ever understood any of this shit or whatever. But we were doing like we we're writing jokes, and we kind of came up with this bit. We we're like, "Why is gold valuable? Like, I don't understand." 
And because every once in a while you say that, and then somebody comes along and goes, "Well, actually, it's used in motherboards and stuff like that." Ooh, and yeah, you're like, yeah, but like motherboards oh. are like a recent invention. Like, why is the entire history of human war, like everything fought over yeah. gold or whatever? And it's because I was like, I don't think that's actually why it's valuable. That came out later. So we were joking about like, because um, like you know, why does a wrapper have it like, on a gold chain or whatever? It's not because it's useful. It's because it's like got this value. So the bit we came up, I can't remember. It's not going to be funny. I'm just dissecting the nuts and bolts of the bit. The yeah. bit was like about like a rapper coming out and he's got like a fucking microchip motherboard hanging around his neck or whatever. And it's like, look how yeah. useful this is. Like no one cares <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's that's like what he talks about in the beginning of, of Capital. But also, if you think about it, um, stainless steel, for example, or iron, extremely useful. We've used them for so many things. And yet, right. like, I love stainless steel jewelry. That is not high-end jewelry. People don't like it. It's not yeah. fancy. It's not fancy, but it is extremely useful. Yeah, <laughs> so and see like, how the value is not at all correlated to an inherent value. You can make fake, like, jewelry that looks the yeah. exact same as gold and stuff like that, but it isn't, like, it's con considered as valuable because the value is the thing that you, like a sign onto it and that's the same thing happening with art when i talk about these disparities is like yep the, the the reason a van gogh is in a fucking uh is in a museum is because it's he's dead and it's very hard to acquire those and they cost a lot of money because people trade them and stuff like that it's like a fucking pokemon card it's yes. just like uh there's also um what do you call it uh like dogs um shit sorry i'm a professional i should know the word but What's the word for dogs and then, like, when you know their whole background and where they came from? Uh, pedigree? Yes. Thank you oh, so much. I've you guessed. got it right. Yeah. <laughs> so artworks, pieces of work of arts, like actual objects, have pedigrees, by which I mean, like, they come with a history of where they were exhibited. So every time an object gets shown in a national museum, for example, or an accredited gallery... That becomes part of its pedigree as an authenticated art object. You get me? And mm -hmm. every time, it's sort of like having a resume. And the more fancy institutions you work at, the more people would want to hire you, right? So that's literally what a Van Gogh painting does. It can say this has been exhibited at this many places. It's been uh, shown at this many galleries. It's been studied by this many institutions. And that in and of itself makes it valuable. It's not about who felt something looking at it. You know, like, who did you... Dude, Van Gogh's daisies... <laughs> one of the things about Van Gogh's daisies, too, is that... Um, I don't know if it's the one that got soup thrown on it, but the one that's at MoMA, for sure. Uh -huh. So, it currently looks in a way that is not the way that Van Gogh actually painted it. Okay? I don't know if this makes sense, but follow me. So... It's the most common um, Van Gogh painting of sunflowers, like a pot of sunflowers in a white, like on a table with a white wall background. Uh, conservationists in, a, like a, in the last few years did x-ray studies of the painting and they discovered that what actually happened with that painting is that because Van Gogh mixed his own paintings and they were like natural, non, not like fabricated paintings like we use now uh -huh. uh the color agents settled down in the painting so the white the the coherent agents the agents that hold all of the pigments together 
stayed at the top, but the pigment elements themselves, which are often met metallic and oh. heavier, faded back into the painting. Oh, so the painting that seems to have a white background for the last hundred years, we will recognize it. I'll send you the picture. You'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how I've always seen it. In reality, when Van Gogh painted it, it had a pink background, Jake. So in art conservation circles, here's the big problem. Is it our job to, now that we have the technology, put the painting back to what Van Gogh actually made it, which was a pink background? Or is it our job to preserve it as it is now and the way that science and history and time affected it and keep it as a white background painting because that's the natural way that it aged. What is the correct thing to do about preserving that? I don't know. Could you do both? <laughs> well, you can by writing about it, by documenting this, by making pictures of both versions. This is why I say that the fetishizing of an object should never overcome the understanding that ideology is more important, right? Yeah. So the conversation about should the pink or the white Van Gogh painting be restored is more important to pass on in culture than the money and time spent preserving the actual fucking object. Who gives a fuck? You yeah, can no, destroy no. it. <laughs> yeah, like, it doesn't matter. We have already photographed it. We had... They're, like... I work in museums, Jake, and I'm like, uh, the fact that people walk into museums and are just like in awe, not because of a person's skill, not because of the ideology that they were trying to portray in this particular painting, but just because it's a famous object that they always heard about and saw in books and they got to get a selfie with. Yeah, and they have it. They're thinking about it backwards because yeah. of capitalist indoctrination, and you don't want to be embarrassed and say that yeah. you don't see the emperor's clothes. You don't clothes. get why the Mona, Mona Lisa matters. Yeah, so exactly. If you have no orientation, you don't understand art and any of the technical, you know, angles of it, and you're just new in the world, and you go like, "Okay, I want to talk about art, but I don't want to look stupid." The easiest way for your brain to go about doing that is to go, well, what's the most popular thing and what is the most valued thing? Yeah. That must be the best. And I'll work backwards from there, you know? But that's yeah. ba literally backwards. Like, it's absolutely got it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, this is not okay. So we've, I, we segued wrong. This would have been better for the original conversation we were having about work, <laughs> but I want to yeah. talk about this James Corden shit because it's Tell really funny. Tell me about funny. it because I barely registered. Okay, so he's a fucking despot and uh, right. to work for, and uh, I've I know this like you know it about every single one of these fucking people. There's um on struggle session Jack Allison. He's like kind of off Twitter now, but he always yeah. used to tweet about how he worked for um Jimmy Kimmel for a little bit and how horrible the work environment was and how you if you spoke about it you were you know you know fucking get the axe and all this stuff. And I, yeah. I believe it every time because like. You could just, I don't, I don't know, for me, I could just tell looking at these guys' faces what they would be like to be around, but maybe that's me fucking projecting. But um, James Corden, apparently, <laughs> the, the the British fucking late night host who the was chubby in, one. like, yeah, the one who was in Cats. I actually was yeah. his character from you Cats. You were for Halloween. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he. Uh, got, you were his understudy, is what we were going to call it. Yeah. <laughs> I was Bustopher Jones. Is, uh, <laughs> 
character. So he got <clears throat> banned from this restaurant here in New York called Balthazar for the way he was treating the servers. Because apparently what happened is that it says... Oh, shit. I didn't know it was like he was actually treating like workers bad. Yeah. It was just like he tweeted something bad or something like that. No. This is why I'm like extra. Oh. Like, I don't give a fuck if there's two sides tell of the story. Us, I want to yeah. fucking kill this guy. Uh, he said after... Uh, Somebody from the restaurant posted and said, like, I never ban people. Here's a story, you know, said after eating his main course, Corden showed a hair to the Balthazar manager who was very apologetic. Corden was extremely nasty to this person and said, get us oh another round of drinks this second. And also take care of all our drinks so far. This way I won't write any nasty Yelp reviews or anything like that. And then like, oh my when, God, there's another story from another time he came to the same restaurant and like someone served the wrong type of omelet to his wife or something. And then he just goes and says, you know, what the fuck? You can't do your job. You can't do your job. Maybe I should go into the kitchen and cook the omelet myself. He's yelling at waiters and shit, right? Jesus, dude. So when this came out, all these other people started like, you know, there was this outpour of people that are like, I serve that motherfucker. Here's my story, right? And so like all these things apparently happened and he's been like this for years. And like also like somebody told a story about being on a flight. They were like a flight attendant and he was asked to sit like alone like with the you know empty seat next to him or whatever and he was allowed to until this woman uh had to be seated there and they were really apologetic because he really asked for it and they were like surprised because they heard he was an asshole they said that they were surprised that he was he was quiet the whole time and he never screamed at anyone about it or whatever right until and then he wrote like a horrible thing oh. no she got up at the end of the flight and went to like hand him her bag and then he like fucking yelled some crazy shit at her <laughs> And it was his wife <laughs> who, oh who he, like, asked not to be seated next to or something. I don't know. I'm probably butchering the details of these stories. Because I remember reading them and I was just, like, dying. Like, this is so... This guy is a monster. He's a fucking horrible person. They called it... The manager of the Balthazar said he's a fine comedian, but he's a horrible little cretin of a man. <laughs> the they Dude, let's him. go have dinner at Balthazar. It's delicious. Have you totally ever been there? No, I, I'm oh, totally it's really good. Let's go. It's not that expensive. We can afford it together, and we can have a delicious steak frite. I would uh, totally eat at this place because they seem yeah, cool. Because they wouldn't put yeah. up with this shit on behalf no, of the service. No, it's um, you know why? Because it's the kind of place. Okay, so Balthazar has been. Uh, I don't know when it opened, but it's been in New York City for a long time, and it's. Here's the thing about some of these fancy places. There is a difference between like places that have this constant turnover of uh, service staff where they just like don't care and you're replaceable and you're whatever and we barely train you uh -huh. versus some places where like service does matter to them. So there are these like professional service people. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, um, totally. Yeah. So they have like waiters who have been waiters for 20 years who are really fucking good at their job. And they have like uh, managers who are like excellent expediters. Like it's like a. It's, it's a real like, yeah. career. People just yes, have this weird exactly. thing about it. Yeah, well, because you know why? Because I think that most of the time we come into contact with bartenders and waiters as people who want to be like, oh, but I really do this other thing, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that is totally fine. And I think that the professional waiters and service people also probably have side things that they care about and that they do. Well, but everyone if you is get in at a certain institution it becomes more of a career and it's more important that you care and that you don't miss a shift and that you don't show up drunk. When I that, first yeah. 
moved to New York, I worked at one of the highest end restaurants in New York. It's called the River yeah. Cafe. It's like under yeah. the Brooklyn Bridge, and like you know, fucking politicians like would come in. I think Biden might have come in one time. Yeah. It was crazy, right? And uh, I quit because. Too much I, pressure, right? I was like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't move here to be a career to be server, a professional server, yeah. Which is not a bad thing to do, but I would have been dicking over that like that place, like the crew there. Yeah. If I was like, I, I came here to no, fucking, because they take it seriously as shit. It's right? a real job, and it, yeah, it yeah. Your most of your fucking you know totally, time dude. is devoted to it. And I was like, no, 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 I want to do this other thing where I. I've dated servers like and um, uh, what do you call them? The wine people, sommeliers, uh-huh. and um. You know, there are always people who they do, like, they have artistic pursuits and whatever the fuck, but, like, their job is important to them, and they're good at it, and they, like, train to be better at it, and they take classes and get certifications and fucking all this shit. Yeah, it, no, I take pride yeah. in my work. I was thinking yeah. about this because I've been, uh, you know, trolling uh, idiots into tweeting at me about, like... Um, Skankfest and all that shit. Libertarians, yeah. Yeah, the Libertarian Comedy Festival. And Can I tell you, I, I would have not even known that Skankfest happened if it wasn't for your tweets. Yeah, I didn't know until uh, <laughs> somebody mentioned it, and I went, oh, fuck, I should go see what they're up to. But, um, I, uh, so, I've been tweeting a lot about bartending, so I've been making jokes about the Libertarian Comedy Festival, and then yeah. they have been tweeting back at me and going, you're not a comedian, you're a bartender, which is interesting to me because i then go what do you have against bartenders there's this thing in fucking stand-up comedy where people say give it up for your wait staff like we have to pretend like we have yeah. solidarity with the wait staff when we perform and yet we use you're a waiter as an insult as, a derogative, as yeah. if that's like somehow not a good thing and somebody said to me that's at one a really point, great cor- like coral correlation i guess to point out that comics do that grandstanding of like give it up for your staff because you do need that fucking staff to run the room well right for you to have a good show motherfucker well it's a contradiction yeah. of these people's internal like ideology yeah. because they don't want to be caught actually being elitist because you know, essentially they have the same politics as this james corden motherfucker yeah. who thinks that the staff is the help and they're beneath exactly. him right but they also want to come off like nobody wants to say that out loud. So, you know, you like to pretend like, oh, give it up for your wait staff or whatever. But it's I, I, I what's wrong with being a waiter? So I asked. But there's somebody, also a real under. But, sorry to interrupt you, but there's like yeah. also a real undertone of not realizing that the entertainment is also the help. Right. You're just the fucking the band playing. Yeah, like, man. How do you not realize that <laughs> you you're work in a help? restaurant? I'm screaming yeah. this at comics all the time. You just work in a restaurant. You're yeah. like the highest level worker in a restaurant. Well, who gives a shit, right? But like uh, somebody said to me like, oh, no, no, no. The, the point here isn't that, you know, waiters or servers or bartenders aren't like uh, respectable jobs. It's that you're not a professional comedian. And I thought about that. and I was like. I'm a professional comedian and a professional bartender. I'm doing two things two at the jobs. same time. Two jobs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you not allowed to have multiple talents and careers? Yeah. In I've your got like four life? jobs, bitch. <laughs> yeah. But it all goes back to like that weird fucking uh, validation of you know the idea, the myth that you 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 are a professional at your art if you make all your money off of it, which is fucking dumb. Um, uh, I hope this isn't in- inappropriate, but I just thought it was really funny, and it's maybe like a, a little anecdote I'm gonna throw in there. Um, like, about- hold on, if you oh, were if you were a musician and a comedian, you wouldn't be like, you're not a comedian, you're a musician. That makes you not a comedian. But if you're a bartender and a comedian, you'd go, you're a 
bartender, therefore you're not a comedian. That shows that you devalue the job of bartender because you're an elitist dick. Sorry, go ahead. I just figured that out in my head. I just put it <laughs> No, that totally makes sense to me. What was I going to say? What did I say before? I forgot. Oh, shit. Uh, no, it's fine. It's not your responsibility to remember what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. oh, oh but I, I know what I was going to tell you about. It was about Gary, <laughs> who uh, the show that I run. Uh, Gary Goldman, love him. Big fan. Uh-huh. Great comic. I hope he wouldn't mind me sharing this. I thought it was very funny. Um, but uh, we had Ismael Lufti on the show last week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Gary texts me and he's like, hey, can you get their credits, right? Uh, like, get people's credits so I know how to introduce them. And I'm like, okay. So I get the credits and then I talk to Ismail and I'm like, what, what, how would you like Gary to introduce you? And Ismail writes back and he's like, I guess just have him say that I recently had a half hour on Comedy Central. Okay. And so I text that to Gary. I don't think anything of it. Uh, obviously, Ismail doesn't think anything of it. And then Gary goes up on stage and he goes... Like, he basically is like, okay, well, this next comic, you know, he's great. I just talked to him backstage. He's wonderful, whatever. And he's like, and uh, his credits that he wants me to tell you is that he has a Comedy Central half hour. You know who, who doesn't have a Comedy Central half hour? <laughs> and he, like, immediately goes into how, like, he never got a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> Did he really? I feel like I saw him growing up. I know. And so, like. Uh, oh, Mandela effect. Yes, where it's like uh, we all are like, whoa, how did Gary never get a Comedy Central half hour? So that's why Ismail was like, yeah, just say, like, I want to impress. Like, okay, so I mean this in a way where, like, the comics who do the show respect Gary and they want to impress him, right? So Ismail's like, here's my best credit. And then Gary gets up there and he's like, here's his best credit. It's a credit I never got because nobody wanted to give me a half hour. (laughs) And he's like... In a very funny way, being, like, bitter about it and whatever. And then he finally introduces Ismail, Ismail, and he goes up. And Ismail goes up, and he's like, man, holy shit, I really fucked that up. (laughs) And he's like, I should have just been like, he performs all around New York City. I don't know why I did it. (laughs) So simultaneously, back to back, both of these comics just, like, reveal their um, insecurities, I guess, around Mm. what you're quote-unquote supposed to have achieved. You get me? Yeah. That in on one person's side, it was like, whoa, this younger person has a thing I never got. But on the other person's side, it was like, oh, shit, this thing that I got that to me feels like a fluke now feels like an insult to an elder that I love when, like, all I want is his approval. (laughs) You know? So... I guess all this to say that, like, uh, these fake markers of what is the actual uh, gain and growth and enjoyment and art being created, they're never positive, man. Like, they're, it's never a guiding... It should never be your guiding light. It's never... If it's in a museum, shouldn't be your guiding light. If they have a late-night credit, shouldn't be your guiding light. If they have a half hour, shouldn't be your guiding light. Because the hegemony is only one version, which is like not to say that we are not happy for everyone who got a light shined on them by the hegemony. But it doesn't solve the fact that there's a whole bunch of people not being seen. Right. And a whole bunch of art not being seen. And when I say people, I mean, even outside of art. So, again, you want to be focused on shit like Ukraine and their war, but you have no concern for Haiti, and you have no concern for Puerto Rico, 
how do you justify that intellectually in your mind? Right, you're working backwards. Yeah. You're letting the the culture dictate, the hegemony dictate what you exactly. think is important because you don't want to look stupid by doing the thinking for yourself. Exactly. And it is totally an emperor's new clothes kind of thing. You're, you're yeah. right. Yeah, maybe that's what we're going to call this episode. That's crazy. Um, I know. I loved it. I do want to talk to you about why I think space sucks. So I think that's going to be the next episode. It's really important to me. I'm going to hate on space communists. Maybe we should have Aaron on to talk about this <laughs> so I can get in a full on fight with him. But no. Yeah, or Andy. I mean, he wrote a book about that. Oh, God. Yes, I did. I bought the book. Okay. No. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I read it. It's good. Yeah, I know. Me too. So, mm, okay. Um, but no, anything else that you wanted to touch upon or should we keep it? There's also Wrexham. I, I recommend watching Wrexham on Hulu. Oh, that is. Oh, dude, it's like a documentary about, um, Brian Reynolds and one of the guys from, um, the Philly show. What's it called? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Exactly. Uh, together they bought a soccer team in England. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is for real. They, like, really got together in real life and bought uh, the second oldest soccer team in the world. And I'll explain all of this to you on the next episode and why it matters and how they turned it into art and also into community help and resources and all this shit uh, on the next episode. Check it out. Okay. Do you want to plug anything? Um, let's see. <laughs> I don't know, on our Patreon only podcast. I don't know. Yeah, um, to like a hundred people. <laughs> I think I'm starting a new show soon. I have a, I, I a came third up with a, podcast, motherfucker. You're no, cheating on a, us. No, a live show. <laughs> oh I, shit! I came up. I, me and some friends came up with a really good idea for a live show. I, I love think. it. Tell me about it. I'm so excited about this already. Um. Uh. I guess there's no reason not to just say it on here. Tell us like, your plans. I roll it out. Yeah, I mean, okay. you don't have to tell us like the venue if you're still working out deals, but like, what's the plan? Yeah, I. So the, here's the idea. Yeah, I should just say it. I don't know why. Yeah. Just, like, and also, to me this to is like, not going to re- be released to the public <laughs> for like three weeks, or we can also not release it to the public. I already. No, no, no. But there's no. I, I just thought about that a few times. Went, why do people wait to? Because there's no. No, fuck it. If you like me, come to this. Yeah. I'll, put it where it is it's gonna be my regular thing i think okay so i'm friends with these musicians uh the one of them plays in like a tribute band so the way that that works is that very skilled musicians are able to like cover all sorts of stuff so you can ask them to play like a bunch of alice cooper songs totally. for a halloween show yeah. they learn them all in a week and then they fucking can bang them out really well yeah um so they can they're also capable of doing live band karaoke for that reason they can memorize a lot of songs and uh so we came up with this idea to do butt rock karaoke so just like bad like creed and nickelback like era you know pearl jam <laughs> alternative rock all the stuff like, i love you motherfuckers the, st- <laughs> the stuff that people love ironically right now like from I our love it childhoods like you know come my lady come because i'm like, lady. like i'm like on average two to three years older than the people <laughs> that listen to this podcast so i love it unironically so that's the idea is to have that be the event and then have this just a show just like a few comics go before it and that's like going to be my residency like hey come see me i do a set every butt rock karaoke and uh the other one is going to be like a crust punk one where it's all like crass and shit like that that i listen to and it's called crack and jokes because crust punk all smoke crack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so butt and crack are the shows so uh well, i don't know i'm happy 
happy to help if you need me for anything, but also not offended and happy to attend and be a happy friend who just I mean, if, loves to have a place talk, to hang. Let's talk because I. I hate booking, so if you want to fucking throw a few comics, and it's only like three or four comics a show. This is why I love Gary's show. It's only like two, but it does put me in a position where I'm like, everybody I love, just wait. I only get two a month, but I'm working on it. Uh, but it's also great because okay. being limited is nice. It's uh, Playing tennis without a net is not tennis anymore, right? So you need a net. You need limits. True. I stole that from Yates. Um, I have nothing to plug. Uh Whatever, I got a show. Um, I plug it on the Twitter. So just follow me on Twitter if you don't already. You do, you do. Uh, that's it for me. Okay, bye. bye.